TBS Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus. Campfire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, and you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate, you're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. We're back. That's right. This is the Pod Directive with Paul Tompkins and Tawny Newsom. That's who we are. Except no substitutes. I'm Paul F. Tompkins. That is Tawny Newsom. As she said, we're back. We're just going to reiterate everything we've said thus far. Because if you weren't listening when you first started the podcast, maybe uh, a pot boiled over on the stove and you had to run away. Maybe um, a small child in your home shouted at you right during the first intro. We said it a second time, so you had a second chance. Maybe there was a big truck outside with a big horn honk. Honk, honk, indeed. <laughs> That's right, I'm pulling, folks. I'm pulling, I'm doing You're the doing thing the, where I motion for the, the guy to pull uh-huh. the horn. Uh, welcome back to Star Trek The Pod Directive. We are here once again uh, to share with you a wonderful conversation we had with a special guest. This week, it is Talia Lavin, who is an author who has written a book about, well, some unpleasant people. Yes, her book, which was just released in October of last year, is called Culture Warlords, My Journey into the Dark Web of White Supremacy. And we're going to get into talking with her about the writing of that book and the intense stuff she had to do to get uh, the information for it. But something else cool about Talia is that in the pandemic, uh, she started watching The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine for the first time. So, you know, we interview a lot of different types of fans on this show. Some people who've been fans their whole life or uh, dating all the way back to the original series. I think this is the first person we've interviewed who has such a fresh fandom and she is loving it. She was talking about how she doesn't want to finish Deep Space Nine. She has like four episodes left because she doesn't want the world to end. So yeah, I just thought that was cool to talk to someone brand new to it all. Yeah. And somebody that's been so uh, of late steeped in what is not great about our world to talk to tell you about how we could maybe get to the utopia that is pictured in Star Trek that we've got earth sorted out so well, we're going other places to see mm-hmm. what's what um, obviously Star Trek so often relates back to our stupid prejudices and bigotries and things like that, that we're going through right now. And the idea is always to shine a light on it and say, look how ridiculous this is why are we being this way um mm. when we could have we could have so much uh, uh, such a better world if we recognize what makes us the same rather than what makes us different it was great to talk to someone who's been dealing with the absolute uh, worst of our <laughs> humanity and talk mm. about how we can get to be the best uh which is hopefully what we're we're all trying to shoot for Absolutely. Um, she also talked a lot about the warm fandom, um, specifically on Twitter. Talia's really active on Twitter. And yeah, she talked about how, you know, it's not always the case if you start, a, you know, a, a first time watch through as an adult with a bunch of people who are very familiar with it. It's mm-hmm. not always the case with every fandom that you're going to get such a warm welcome. And uh, I think she says in this interview that the only like downside was people just spoiling things because they were too enthusiastic about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so I, I I love that she not only started watching these shows that we love so much, but that she also got really active with other people online who love it. What a great way to stay connected in this in this weird, weird year. Yeah, it was very nice to hear. Have you ever had somebody, Tawny, spoil something for you after you specifically told them not to spoil it for you? 
You mean like intentionally, like a villain? Well, it's like no. <laughs> I would I would not impart that uh, that to them specifically, but. Every once in a while, you have someone in your life who just can't help themselves. Oh. And even though you say, stop right now, I'm going to watch this thing or read this thing. Don't tell me anymore. Oh. They have to say, I just want to tell you this one thing. And, and oh, because like maybe they don't consider it much of a spoiler, but to you it is. Honestly, I think it's that they're just excited to talk about it. <laughs> I have not experienced this. I also oh. think I don't. I don't ever stop anyone if they're like, uh, do you mind if I tell you? It's going to kind of spoil it. I'm like, yeah, tell me. I'll still enjoy the thing. I don't get that intense about spoilers. Yeah, I'm pretty good with spoilers for the most part. Like, I don't, I don't know. There's very few things that I feel like I have to go into this knowing absolutely nothing, you know. Sure. Um, it doesn't, It most, most of the time it doesn't matter to me, even if it's. You know, if it's a, if we're talking about Star Trek, we're talking about like a, a WandaVision, whatever. It's like, mm -hmm. no, you can tell me like a big thing that happens because it's, there is the, there is the part of you that's like, well, now I have knowledge that the characters don't have. And this yeah. is exciting to see how they're going to get there. I'm like a person <laughs> from the future. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, but every once in a while, it, it's, there's somebody that just, they can't help but tell you. Um, but I did have, I remember. I remember not, I was not going to see the movie Birdman mm. and I had a friend who uh, saw it and I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, I don't want to spoil it for you if you're going to watch it. I'm like, I, it doesn't matter. Even if I watch it, it doesn't matter. You can tell me the entire movie. And my friend told me beat by beat the entire movie, <laughs> but still didn't tell me the very end. Oh, and then I eventually saw the movie, and I immediately texted him. I'm like, "Why didn't you tell me this part?" And he said, "I knew you were going to watch it eventually." Uh, so he was actually like an <laughs> advertisement for it by telling you beat by beat all the non spoiler stuff. <laughs> That's a, it's a bold new step forward. <laughs> yeah, a bold new step forward in advertising. Here's everything that happens, but the very last thing. No, but I think it is like, it, I know it's so intense for some people. I know when um, Lower Decks was airing in the U.S., but it wasn't airing everywhere around the world. I know that like other fans were getting so pissed because people online were like spoiling things. But yeah, what I tell you for that, y'all, is just mute the hashtag. Mute that Star Trek Lower Decks hashtag yeah. and you'll avoid a lot of pain, I think. Yeah, there's a, like when it comes to social media, there's a certain amount of it that's on us if we, if we don't want things spoiled. You know, you got to take personal responsibility sometimes, gang. That's just the yeah. way it is. Um, speaking of personal responsibility, the three <laughs> of us were all personally responsible for recording the audio you're about to hear in this interview. You did it! Oh, God, you I, just started, I burst out into, I just started sweating my whole body. Uh, People were thinking, she can't segue into the beginning of I the interview. I can segue into anything. Hey, here's one thing about me. I can segue into anything from anything. That's exactly right. If you think she can't do it, Hashtag Tawny Newsome Segue Challenge. Give Tawny <laughs> two unrelated, <laughs> two unrelated things, things and see. Watch her do it. I will do it. And what we are also going to do is listen to a break and then listen to this interview. Here we go. Here's the break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Store your happy price, Priceline. So off mic, Talia said, we're here to talk about utopia. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh, that's a profound thing to say on a Zoom. I kind of forgot, you know, what we were here to do. But I was like, yeah, in a way, I am always here to talk about utopia and how we get there. Um, <laughs> does anyone have any ideas? <laughs> <laughs> how do we get there? Maybe that just like swam into my brain or I dreamed it. But I thought that was kind of the the subject. And this is such a dystopian year that I thought it would be an awesome podcast topic. Because Star Trek is essentially, I mean, at least... Much more TNG than than DS9. It is sort of a a utopian show, like the opposite of a dystopian show. It's it's an the fu- like it's like the future is you know effing awesome. <laughs> and how do we get from here to there in a mere three hundred years? Seems mind boggling. There's a lot on TNG, especially of. Uh, you know, when they encounter something on another planet with another civilization where they have to, they say like out loud, like, oh, right. I forgot that centuries ago on Earth, we did that. You know, we thought this way or mm-hmm. we we had these issues or whatever. And it's, of course, it's mortifying because we have them right now. And uh, they're really embarrassing us <laughs> um, uh, in the future. So uh, is there is there anything that you're seeing now that indicates to you that we're on our way, at least to a better path. It's funny because the the episode in, in DS nine that sort of shows how the path begins is I think it's said in 2024, isn't it? Yeah. So the episode you're referring to is um, oh, what's the name of the episode? It's the bell riots past tense, past tense. It's two parts. It's where, uh, Commander Cisco, commander at that time, or is he captain yet? Mm, someone will I tell me. I think he's Captain Cisco. Is he captain by then? Commander. Yeah, because it's Sorry, oh, he's commander because it's early season yes. three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. He doesn't get a promotion until season four. Anyway, um, so he and Bashir uh, uh, go get sent back in time. Yeah, to 2024. I believe it was like September 30th. It's right before the Bell riots take place on Earth, and he's kind of walking. You know, Bashir is sort of this lens for. The audience kind of asking the questions of what happened here and Cisco, always the historian, the, mm. the civil rights historian, is kind of telling him, you know, about the uprising and in the sanctuary cities and stuff. Anyway, I interrupted you to fact check, but please continue. Yeah, I mean, I think DS9 is trying to be the gritty counterpart to TNG, which is almost this warm bath in like sort of everything's great. You know, there's no money, there's no scarcity. Just this really radical vision of a of a post scarcity world of abundance, where the principal sort of, at least among the characters we meet, the principal motive is curiosity and satisfying curiosity, and to have that be your your sole motive rather than need and, and want and despair, you know, driving you through the cosmos is so magnificent. And then. DS9, we sort of dig down a little into the details, but I found, even though they're quote-unquote these like gritty episodes, and they are gritty comparatively, I found Past Tense 1 and 2 incredibly optimistic. I mean, I'm a bleeding heart lefty, so that's what, you know, you've invited onto your program. But I'm like, <laughs> three years from now, it's like one riot in, in one city 
where they've essentially striated people by class and, and there are these encampments and they treat people poorly. And I'm like, right now we're in the midst of a pandemic with thousands of people dying. We are on the verge of 40 million people getting evicted. Like the government's like $600 for the next eight months until <laughs> there's, you know, sufficient vaccine should be fine. Maybe, maybe we'll give that to you or maybe not. Maybe it's just corporate liability and nothing. So I'm just like, I want to live in the world where I don't want to live it. Like ideally Gabriel Bell would have never had to die, but I want to live in the world where Gabriel Bell's death would truly like, you know, make the entirety of humanity reconsider. Yeah. And we saw, I mean, it's like this summer, right? The George Floyd protests, right? The, this uprising for justice. And, and then you watch, you watch uprisings get co-opted, get squashed, get, you know, um, beaten down by insecurity and, uh, you know, all these conspiracy theories crop up around them. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I think makes DS9 still part of the same Roddenberryan utopian universe, is that it's this idea that if we just confront people with injustice if they just realize there's an essential goodness to humanity that will make people want to change. And mm -hmm. I have to say in this very dark year, how much more injustice do people need to be? <laughs> yeah. It feels like a tipping point. It feels like we're kind of here. You're right. And you know, there's something interesting about the character of Gabriel Bell, who in the episodes in past tense, uh, Commander Sisko ends up taking his place because Gabriel Bell mistakenly gets murdered in a in a street fight involving Sisko and Bashir. So Sisko's basically saying, if we weren't here, this dude would be alive and he's necessary for the entire, you know, timeline to exist and to stay intact. So Sisko takes his place and, you know, kind of masquerades as him. What's interesting to me is that because that guy was black, like because Gabriel Bell was a black man, even though it wasn't a racial uprising, the whole thing feels very... It just feels lightly flavored as though it was based around race, even though it was much more an uprising based on class. And we all know those things are intrinsically linked, but it's interesting the way that I thought it was delicately and expertly handled the way that the show, yeah, managed to touch on issues of race without making it overtly like a race riot. Yeah, I mean, DS9 handles race really deftly. It's the first uh, Star Trek show with a black captain and it almost addresses its own radicalness in that regard in another one of my, I think my favorite Star Trek episode of all time, which is with Benny Russell, far from the... Oh, far beyond the stars. The stars, where it's sort of an, is this all a dream episode, hmm. but so artfully done that I personally, my personal conspiracy theory is it was the inspiration for Mad Men is, was that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> So we, we go back in time and there's uh, like Cisco is, I think it's a vision from the prophets and we go back in time and Cisco is sort of inhabiting the mind of this man, Benny Russell, who's a science fiction writer, writes a story with a black captain for his magazine and gets absolutely shut down by Rene Aubergenois as, as a very cranky editor and the hapless rest of the staff. You know, I think DS9 is is not afraid to shy away from kind of America's racial past and 
But it's different now. Now we're in utopia. The closest they get to racism on the show is calling Cardassian spoonheads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and some TNG early Ferengi stuff is a little like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we gotta, we gotta address this a little bit. But <laughs> deftly handled then in DS9, I feel like the, the Ferengis become much more three-dimensional, well-thought-out characters then. <laughs> yeah, well, they're very lovable. And then, I mean, I feel like the, we're not, it's like, they're space Jews. Come on. It's like every, <laughs> except that we don't have sex via um, ear stroking. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> to my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I, I, I hate to sound so uh, uh, doomy and gloomy, um, but. You know, during this during this time, we've all had a chance to maybe uh, watch more TV than we have before and revisit things. And uh, early on, my my wife and I rewatched Eyes on the Prize, the old civil rights documentary. And one of the things that really struck me is that as much as the the civil rights movement did away with a lot of um, like on the books, Jim Crow, uh, uh, separate but equal uh, injustices, the things that people were talking about, the speeches that were made, the interviews that are in that, it's all sounded so contemporary. And it made me, it made me so sad that if you're kind of idly thinking about things, you think, wow, we've really come a long way. And then when you really look at it, you're like, man, we have not really come that far and it, i struggle i guess to see and i want to i want to hear uh how you all feel about it i struggle to see the progress sometimes like there's mm. over the course over the 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 history of our country if not the world um but but our country which is a, is still a relatively young country and the progress that we've made in the time that we've been uh the united states of america there are some things that are that seem very sweeping, but then when you get into the the nitty gritty of it, it still seems like we're stuck in these same dumb things and we can't get out of them. Um, am I being too pessimistic? Is it, it, it? Do you feel the same way, or do you feel that uh, there's actually been a lot more progress made than it than it may seem like? Hmm. I was I this a I bad question. Like <laughs> No, it's just a thought. It's like, one you have um, to think about for a second, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I always go back to any time I feel like complaining about the current state of things. Uh, I think about how I don't do that when I like call my dad who lived through segregation and who will literally just be like, Separate drinking fountains. Shut up. Like anything <laughs> that I would complain about now, he's like, I had to go to a different drink. And, you know, and I have young parents. This isn't some older. Yeah. So it, it's constantly a reminder to me how recent, you know, pretty terrible shit was happening because I have living examples of it who I talk to every other day. So but that doesn't take away from the fact that things Things still get to be bad now just because they <laughs> may have been worse or a different kind of bad before. It doesn't invalidate uh, the struggles that we're feeling. And I think that, I don't know, I think a healthy dose of pessimism is okay because it you need that to stay grounded. And 
I don't know. It goes in waves for me. Some days I'm very optimistic about things because I talk to my nephew who's like a super forward thinking Zoomer who's very politically engaged. You know, he's 17 and he's he's very smart about all of these things, things that I wasn't smart about at 17. And that gives me hope. And then sometimes I read Twitter and I'm like, ah, we're fucked, we're doomed and it's bad. But I mean, both of those days are, those are valid feelings. And I mean, anytime you're on Twitter, you're, you're doomed already from the start. Cause <laughs> that's true. Boy, that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we just should all get off of there, I guess. <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah, I get just <laughs> like we outpaced Star Trek in that we didn't invent you know that weird episode of DS9? It's one of the... I think it's the first time we're introduced to Risa, maybe. But it's like Riker goes to Risa and this like hot space chick introduces him to this video game <laughs> yes. that you get addicted mm, to yes. where you move a ball with yes, your mind. Yes, yes. And On like, TNG, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it takes over the ship it's, and secretly it's... I don't know. It has some nefarious purpose. It's addictive. Yes, TNG the game. That's the episode. You know, in real life, we just like are hopelessly addicted to a nefarious uh, application <laughs> that we can't stop staring at that just makes us feel bad. Yeah. yeah. Like the game gives you basically, it's subtly implied that it's giving you orgasms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why am I staring at Twitter like for eight hours a day when it, it it's not even giving me an orgasm? It's just making me sick. No, it's not. Occasionally, there's just like a fun, a fun meme. Or just like an interesting <laughs> gif or a wry turn of phrase. That's what we get out of it. <laughs> or it's like scrambled my lexicon where now I'm just like, ah, you know. Yeah, like we speak like we're not in the real world. We kind of speak like oh, what an absolute we have like Twitter unit. language. Yeah. Yeah. Like look at the hog on that absolute unit is like how I would describe a horse. <laughs> yeah, it has fried our brains. You know what's interesting is that in the in the Trek universe, especially our like '90s trifecta Trek of TNG, DS9, and Voyager, there there's no addiction to the computer. The computer is purely there to help, other than times when it goes crazy and then bad things happen. <laughs> but it's purely there to be like on call help. It is information. You know, the replicators they make food. There's navigation. Like everything has a purpose and nothing's really there to just destroy your brains. So that's one way that we veered off the utopia path. That's <laughs> really true. I hadn't really thought about that. But anytime that you show anyone doing anything for recreation, they're not looking at a screen. Never. No. They're playing the trombone. They're playing racquetball. They're dressing up like Robin Hood. The violin. They're, they're doing or Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> uh, like exactly. Bashir is being Bond and everybody's being a Bond villain. That one episode where O'Brien wears an eye patch because they're all trapped in the holodeck. <laughs> I mean, uh, Barclay has a hollow sweet addiction at one point. Like, true, that's sort true. of addressed. But a hollow sweet is so much cooler than anything on a computer. Like, I mean, this <laughs> yeah. is played out in DS9 a little more. I mean, with a wink and not much information. But, like, the holodecks are for fucking. And, yeah. Yeah. and like, I just feel like... And riding horses. Yeah. Riding horses. <laughs> and, and like hanging out with Deanna Troy as a sexy cowboy. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine how much easier quarantine would be with a hollow suite? If we had hollow suites, but then I feel like if we went back 20, 40 years, whatever, and we're, everyone's like, oh, yeah, we're like, yeah, it's this really terrible time where you have to stay in your homes. 
but you have the internet, which will give you absolutely anything you want at yeah. any time. People 40 years ago would be like, who fucking cares about this quarantine? What are you talking about? So I feel like that's what we're thinking about the holosuite. We'd be like, a lockdown with a holosuite would be sweet. But then you get people like Kira. Uh, Major Kira d- never wants to do the holosuite because she's like, it's not real. She reminds me of one of those people who's like, I don't watch TV, you know? <laughs> she's like above it a little bit. But Jedzia tries to take her to like the baths or whatever. Right. And she's just like, nah, this isn't real. I don't like it. I will say one thing that the height of hollow speed entertainment appears to be Vic Fontaine, which is, yes. you know, the lounge singer. That's an inexplicably major character for like a whole season of DSA. And his lounge is beige. It's just beige. <laughs> gets taken over by a bunch of Vegas gangsters and, you know, like then the decor gets totally changed and sexy Kira comes out and like, sexy outfit and then it's like oh glad we're back to vix where it's normal <laughs> and now it's beige again <laughs> like, it looks like a marriott conference room <laughs> yeah it's not enticing you're right what would you i know we gotta have better uh suite designs why doesn't anyone ever design like just a full-ass theme park just like roller coasters mm-hmm. is it just too hard to code <laughs> I th- maybe there are some spatial limitations. Either way, I mean, once I got the sort of erotic hollow sweet wave out of my system initially, I feel like I could roll with some some strong female characters in my hollow sweet adventures. Yeah. I came to Star Trek like pretty fresh this year. I mean, obviously I knew what Star Trek was, but I, I started with TNG. Um, I've watched all of the Star Trek that I've watched since like March. And, and that's, uh, all of TNG. And I am five episodes from finishing DS9. So I'm a horrible neophyte wow. compared oh, wow. to everyone. And I, I'm having trouble making myself finish because watch, you only get to watch DS9 for the first time once. And it's so good. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited for you, though. Like, you're coming with such a freshness. And, you know, we have lots of people of varying levels of fandom on the show, so please don't feel like you haven't seen enough or something. It's so cool to meet someone who's, yeah, who's just started so recently, especially in this wild-ass year. You wrote a really cool piece for StarTrek.com about watching TNG for the first time during a pandemic that I recommend everyone go read. Uh, It's titled Watching the Next Generation in a Time of Pandemic and Uprising. And it really made me I, – I loved reading it because of uh, the, the the fandom that you encountered and how, like, you talk about how gentle everyone was with you. It, it made me so proud to be a Trek fan because being in a Trek property, I've experienced that a lot with, like, very welcoming, warm, you know, warm fans. And that's not always the case with other fandoms. So, yeah, just uh, talk about that a little bit. How has it been for you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Trekkies have a really bad rep pop culturally um just the comic book guy and the simpsons kind of a well actually sort of thing and the worst thing that i encountered with as i started i live tweeted like most of tng and a lot of ds9 (laughs) just like oh my god kira blodo blah i love it all and like it's so amazing this is great and and uh the only the most nefarious thing i encountered was people just being like too enthusiastic and like 
maybe spoiling <laughs> it or like getting into oh, like that's so sweet getting into like 40 th- like comment discussions like in my mentions and i'm like okay, okay. <laughs> yes but like the nature there's of a lot of passion the klingon whatever and but everyone is so excited for me they're like i'm so excited i wish i could be experiencing for this for the first time i'm getting so much vicarious joy you know it seemed so joyful and so pure and that was great because you know you really there's this this rep that it's like you know first of all there's an overwhelming amount of star trek there's just so much there's <laughs> yeah. what is it it's like six entire tv series and then all the movies and then the novels and mm-hmm. i still want to read the novel imzadi about Riker and Troy. Um, that that one looks the most enticing to me thus far. But um, <laughs> haven't read any Trek novels yet. But I I just was like, okay, I'm gonna bite the apple. Like I'm gonna dive in, and I d- dove in, and I was like, holy shit! Like this is really good. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> my like friend who I was you know locked down with uh, had been trying to get me to watch Star Trek for years, and and then. I was just like looking over his shoulder one day as he was watching DS9. I think it was that episode, uh, TNG. It was that episode where they're like trapped in a hotel and doing sort of a hokey like casino adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Trey Wilson's in it as the Texas oil man or whatever. The Royale. Yeah, the Royale. Yes, thank you. And I was watching it. I'm like, wait, it's Star Trek is funny? Like Star Trek? (laughs) Yeah. Star Trek is weird and like and Patrick Stewart has a very mellow voice and I was like okay I'll <laughs> I'll watch it and then I haven't looked back I really feel like I oh my god dived in head first Star Trek is definitely funny and sometimes upon rewatch I'm like episodes that I remembered being like very poignant or very sweet watching them back now I'm like this is also hysterical um I mentioned that uh our man Bashir, that episode with uh, where Julian is like trying to be a Mr. Bond type on the on the hollow suite. And then like Cisco and uh, Kira and O'Brien get trapped in it, like their patterns get trapped from a transporter accident. And then they're just they only exist on the hollow suite. So they become like Bond villain type characters in his universe. I mean, just Cole Meany and an eye patch. Sign me up. Anything <laughs> anywhere that appears, I'll watch in like a terrible Russian accent. Amazing. Oh, yeah. That Russian accent was perfect. Talia, prior to this, like Star Trek, was it solely that it seemed like too vast a property to get into? Why? What what were you drawn to before? Were there fandoms? Were there things like it, like a, like a Buffy, like something like that? Anything that you were that you were into in a Star Trek sort of way? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge nerd. I'm not claiming that I was ever like above Star Trek. (laughs) It's like I, my first fandom and passion was Lord of the Rings to a like worrying degree in middle school. (laughs) Like I was in middle school when the movies came out and like I watched The Fellowship of the Ring 40 times in theaters. I, oh, 40! 40. I, wow, I, think that's, wow. I mean, maybe I've maybe I've like exaggerated that number in my head, but it was a lot of times <laughs> I like wow. openly wept into my best friend's arms during the two towers <laughs> in the scene where Aragorn died because I was in love with Aragorn. And sure. I had like 
posters of him in my room. And I was a fanfic <laughs> author. I was a prolific fanfic author. I had 42 <laughs> separate stories, some of them multi-chapter on fanfiction.net. <laughs> and that's like how I started <laughs> writing. And then, so, so Lord of the Rings was the OG. I went to a convention. I was dressed as an elf. That's where I bought my first wow. dagger. So I was always, <laughs> yeah, I, I collect swords now. It's a whole thing. I, yeah. I'm told you own several broadswords <laughs> and I know that you live in Brooklyn. So this is a passion. I assume you don't have a large home, but you have all these broadswords. Yeah, no, my bedroom is a terrifying place. Um, and I, I keep them. <laughs> I wrote a book this year called Culture Warlords about white supremacists and, uh, Let's just say, like, now I keep a bunch of swords by my bed and, like, I, they make me feel safer. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Whether I'm not really that good with them, but I'm like, I could bonk someone in the head if they, <laughs> anyway. So, but I was always drawn to the fantasy stuff and the gothic stuff. And I've always found sci fi before Trek to be a little too. I mean, I've read Dune, I've read Ender's Game. It just feels very. First of all, like the genre until recent years has been very male mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. male driven. And it's it's sort of got a colder philosophicalness to it. And it's all about science, which I never at which I never excelled. Um, mm -hmm. And in Trek, I feel like the science, the techno babble is sort of just that. It's just mm -hmm. babble. It's OK. Yeah. Yeah, they're just little tools to be used, but it's really about the the, the philosophical questions being asked, the human connection, the human storylines about what it means to be human, and the techno babble is just you know it's it's world building, it's flavoring. Yeah, it's it's like I don't need to know how warp drive actually works. Everything's a MacGuffin. You really right. don't. You can enjoy every single series and not really fundamentally understand what warp is. <laughs> Would the equivalent in fantasy be lineages? Mm. Like knowing who, who everyone's father and grandfather oh, and great-grandfather. <laughs> Did you know that Gimli's grandfather was named Groin? Groin? G-R-O-I-N? Gimli, son of Groin. <laughs> I'm not even making that up. You can Boy. Google it. I believe you. I trust you implicitly. I like that. I love language. I love myths. Like, so what Star Trek is to me is like, it gets at all the same satisfying beats that a good myth does. It's, and, and the, the myth is that we've, we've hit the future and everything's great. And all we're doing is gently exploring with one another, the questions of like what it means to be person or good person and then in ds9 it's like how do you conduct a war with ethics or why are the goo people sick other profound questions <laughs> <laughs> um you brought up your book culture warlords um and in it you detail your experiences going behind the digital white supremacist movement kudos to you mm. i uh i run a racism podcast and uh I probably have barely dipped my toe in the uh, type of shit online that you get. So fucking congrats, first of <laughs> all, for finishing your book. And I hope it does extremely well to line your pockets with gold to make up for the trash that you, I'm sure, had to endure. Um, but I wonder after if after doing that type of intense, 
hate-filled work. And I'm not necessarily saying that you had to have hate, although I read uh, an excerpt from it where you do talk about some of the hate you uh, developed for some of these people. But just existing in a world where kind of the the general theme you're dealing with is just hate. Do you think that's what made, that's part of the reason that TNG was so like inspiring to you? I can't think of a more opposite world to immerse yourself in mm. Yeah. after dealing with what you must have dealt with. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you're a black woman on the internet. So like, you know, I wouldn't like discount your own experiences of, of harassment. I think we all face our own crucibles that we bear. Um, I'm just like a very loud Jewish woman. And so I, I, I take on <laughs> more than I punch above my weight as much as I can. I think, yeah, TNG, I mean, fundamentally it was such a decent show. It's like, it's like watching the Great British Bake Off after you've watched a bunch of <laughs> like American reality shows and you're just like, oh, they're helping one another. <laughs> oh my God. Look, Picard is like at trial to prove Data's human. Like, <laughs> Riker and Troy can like be friends even after their complicated romantic past. And like, but I, in like the span of less than a year, I went from, I have never watched Star Trek to I own a Star Trek pajama onesie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's very comfortable and it makes me feel safe. And it is Picard. I'm just imagining you in this onesie surrounded by broadswords, <laughs> just <laughs> the different ways of things making you feel safe. I get it. I mean, and would you believe I'm single? Um, <laughs> and we're going to fix that with this podcast. <laughs> Although Picard wears much sexier pajamas on the show. Mm. Than it's true, yeah. I, Picard. Sure. Pajama, like actual Picard pajamas would be just like, V like J Lo style on me, like V neck down to your oh, yeah. navel. Mm -hmm. Or if you've watched any Enterprise, have you have you dabbled into that series yet? Because to Paul, her pajama game is wild. It is very early two thousands Britney Spears from the movie Crossroads kind of wild, and it's and I love it. One sense of the utopia of the future in Star Trek is the lack of scarcity, want, and conflict. The other aspect of its utopia is just like everyone has amazing pajamas mm -hmm. like their loungewear yeah. <laughs> is just on point persistently that's that's <laughs> what you get in a post-scarcity world <laughs> yeah i've been thinking a lot you know i've been thinking a lot about food replicators recently because we're mm. kind of in a hunger crisis in america and like it's never a sexy topic to be like you know, people are quietly starving in their houses. And and I think it's interesting that it's like we're like living in the future compared to a couple decades ago, right? But the food replicator is like the single piece of technology I would like to bring into the world, right? Most of all, it's just like no one would ever have to go hungry. You know, maybe they'd be like, this is a crappy rack to Gino. <laughs> You could replicate a turkey for Thanksgiving. I mean, maybe that is the key to, you know, advancing the utopias. If that's the the future thing that gets developed first, mm. and it and then it all fall, it all starts to fall into place after that when people aren't, you know, when no one's starving anymore. Yeah, and it just makes you know it makes also the decisions of the characters like Cisco's dad owns a Creole restaurant, right? 
mm-hmm. Jake, what what is it? Cisco's Creole. Cisco's place? Creole Kitchen. Kitchen, yeah, and but he's doing it for the love of the game. He just does <laughs> it because he loves to serve people great food. Yeah, like he doesn't yeah. have to. His employees don't have to worry about want and need. Like you know, he doesn't have to worry about want and need. And as so many restaurants close down, and like. I mean, I'm sorry to be such a bummer. It's just like, like, it's like we're sitting in the middle of this dystopia of class stratification, you know, these swollen coffers and, and impoverished masses. And, and we're right, like, we're three years before past tense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, I hope somehow, like, all of this horror horror around us gets dislodged like a tooth and we and we steam towards the stars right i mean that's what gets me about star trek i think that is why it was so transporting is it's so hopeful it's so radically hopeful even ds9 which which has more grit to it and more moral complexity oh and it turns out the feds the the federation has a kind of amoral CIA type of situation and sometimes even a noble commander could be underhanded in the in a moment of war and blah 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 but at the end of the day like the motivations are not want and scarcity and and fear of of, of drowning under those <laughs> things and mm-hmm. Just being able to imagine a world like that and what would motivate people in their absence, I think is such a radical, a radical thing that the, and a gift that, that Roddenberry gave to his universe. Well, and it's also, it's worth noting that the, the, the most recent, you know, when, when discovery started, which is one of the most recent, uh, Trek offerings, it's going back to before it's like the, the, maybe like the very beginnings of that utopia uh, where we're now exploring the stars and everything, but it's the, it's the beginning of the, um, the Trek universe as we know it, but there's still a lot of problems. They haven't quite gotten to that point yet. So the, the problems aren't so much like looking at other cultures and saying, isn't it funny how we used to be like that too? Mm-hmm. It's like, they're still very much like that. They're still Maybe it's it's sort of like where we think we are now, where it's like we've come mm-hmm. so far, but we still have so much further to go than we're we're willing to admit at this moment. Yeah, I mean, I think I I've become, I mean, immersing myself in like sort of some of the worst of humanity for a lot of time um, made me a bit more jaded. I think overall, but a lot of what I looked at too was like who was fighting back and how and like. Who was sort of putting themselves on the line to to personally try to defend their communities against fascist groups and um like those are the the gabriel bells of the world right like they'll jump in front of a knife to to save people mm-hmm. and we do have people like that you know we do have the people who now in this time of tremendous hunger and want like one thing that's popped up all over new york city that's like one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen like right near my apartment, there's one. It's like the free fridge movement where they set up in partnership with the bodega to use electricity. They have a fridge running 24-7. People just come and donate food and then people take it. People go into the bodega and they'll buy 
an extra loaf of bread and and put it in the in the community fridge and like they're all over the city people take what they want give what they can and like there is a collectivist ethos there is an ethos where like people want other people to be free of scarcity that mm-hmm. that is around and maybe is the root of of that utopia i think if we can get past this idea that anyone being able to have their needs met is like some zero sum game where I don't get mine. Like that's how we get from here to there. I just, I don't know. (laughs) Like there's a lot of question marks between here and, and the decks of the enterprise for me. But uh, when I look at those free fridges and the people filling them, I, I see the root of it. I don't know. It's very sentimental of me to say. It makes me wonder. One of the questions for me is, and this is something I think about a lot because the the narrative that we have right now is that we're so we're so evenly divided and you're either this or you're that. But I wonder if there are more people who have a developed sense of empathy than don't. And the idea is just to keep things interesting. We have to keep promoting the idea that we are 50 50 when in fact it might be that most people are caring and do care about other people. Of course, there's selfishness in the world. Of course, we're all capable of selfishness. But as a as a society, are there more of us that care than don't? And is part of the key to making things better recognizing that um, mm. and promoting that idea that, hey, actually, most of us are on the same page here. We want to help each other out. Because otherwise, it it with with the fifty fifty narrative, it kills hope, and it makes you think that well, you're either one or the other, and so there's no changing anything because we're always going to be in this in this complete Gordian knot of we want this and we don't want this. But I things like that, like the free fridge, makes me think. I think there's more people that care than don't care, but I think it's exhausting. I think people are tired because of the 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 narrative that there's nothing you can do and that we'll never get further than we are now. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people are definitely tired. I think people are also overwhelmed and people don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why we saw such a galvanization of uh, activity and engagement suddenly, you know, after the 2016 election because whatever side you were on, people realized that they'd maybe they'd been a little bit asleep or, yeah, just a lot of people started paying more attention. And it can be tempting for those <laughs> those of us who maybe felt like we'd been in the fight a little bit before that to feel like, oh, you're late, you're just showing mm-hmm. up. But I think uh, I think that's another barrier is the the feeling that there are like activism gatekeepers, which sounds so insane to say, <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's what you what it's what you're pointing to. It's like we we all want the free fridge is a good analogy for like we we all want the free fridge. We all want to participate in the free fridge. Pretty much everyone can agree <laughs> this is a good thing to do. I heard someone talk about uh like in Los Angeles where Paul and I live, um, planting trees is one of the like least partisan issues. Like it, it has no partisan affiliation. Everyone believes, for the most part, in Los Angeles, if we plant more trees, it will just it will be beneficial. It will keep the city cooler because of shade. It improves air quality. It's just nicer to walk under, mm-hmm. especially this year, as more and more people have been taking walks than ever have in Los <laughs> Angeles before. 
Um, but everyone can agree this is the thing that we're all like, okay, let's plant trees. So maybe it's finding more of those things. Like what are the free fridges? What are the tree planting initiatives that really truly do unify us and not in a way that dismisses the legitimate differences that that we may have or the legitimate issues we may have with people whose quote unquote beliefs want to take away agency and and rights from other people that I, I will not, <laughs> I'm not going to see eye to eye with someone who doesn't believe I deserve the same rights as them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just going back to the, going back to the universal wants, the things we can all agree on that will help get us, get us to utopia. <laughs> Maybe coming out of like the intellectual equivalent of trench warfare, I'm a little bit like less optimistic. <laughs> um, I'm more like, <laughs> and I'm with Tani, I'm like, um, well, if you want me dead and my family dead, um, Mm-hmm. Because we're Jews, like probably there's very little we agree on. Yeah. I don't want to hear your op-ed. I don't want to see, I don't want to get behind the mind of a, you know, anti-Semite. <laughs> I, I literally don't care. You can, you can go away. Yeah. You can just take a boat to the middle of a large body of water and I hope to never hear from you again. Yeah, no. I, and But I think, and, and I think there are a lot of people with kind of latent sympathies towards that worldview and certainly a lot of... Uh, a depressing number of, of functionaries in a certain one of two major political parties have proven that either they believe those things sincerely or find them useful, which is like morally kind of indistinguishable. Either they believe them sincerely or they're just okay with being in agreement with a lot of those people about who to vote for. <laughs> so that is for me a big stumbling block on the way to utopia. It's like, how do we get rid of the pe- all the people who like, I hear Picard in my head, like sort of wistfully saying like, ah, yes, back on earth, you know, we used to be Mm -hmm. such barbarians, like killing each other all the time. And I'm like, cool. How did you stop doing that? (laughs) (laughs) What are the keys, dog? Come on. And I do like the idea of like a a sci-fi show. I mean, we spent so much time on PNG, like being like, let's talk about Data's feelings. And like, I <laughs> love Data and I enjoy his feelings. And I just want to live in a world where we can talk about our feelings for a plurality of the episodes of our lives because we don't have to... I mean, is it all rooted in scarcity? I think a scarcity mindset that pits us all against one another doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's probably at the root of a lot, but I'm not sort of a class reductionist in the sense that I think bias and bigotry and and a desire to like and tribalism maybe go beyond questions of need and want because uh frankly i've talked to some rich racists and richard spencer is mm-hmm. a millionaire you know what i mean um mm-hmm. yeah and like the median income statistics of the voters blah 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 where it's not just purely a question of of scarcity and what but i think broadly we do think about our world as a zero-sum game. Like, we think about resources as finite. We have to think about, oh, you know, the money is going into this pot instead of that. And all of this ultimately comes from from the fact that things are finite. We don't have replicators. Yeah. I, th- I guess that's true in the world the Federation hasn't reached yet, where the, they're stuck with gold-pressed latinum. Mm-hmm. Which is a wild turn on the Ferengis because they both have replicators and latinum. 
Yeah. They're just doing it for the thrill of the hunt, man. <laughs> Which, frankly, I think the rules of acquisition are boss. I know that you're kind of supposed to make fun of them. I think they're fascinating. It's one of my favorite, like, long... It's like a Trek game. It's like a long-running, like, gag and sketch comedy or something. <laughs> because I I'm sure someone has cataloged them somewhere. But I wonder how many times they overlapped. Um, there's a fantastic podcast called Los Culturistas where they always do the rule of culture. But they just rattle off whatever number they feel like. They'll say, rule of culture number 275. <laughs> they might have five 275. Who knows? <laughs> but that's what the rules of acquisition feel like. It's like, yeah, the rules, rules of acquisition number... Oh, God, what is it where it's like number 13 is like always bet high and number 12 is like always bet low or something? <laughs> war is good for business. Peace is good for yeah, business. Yeah, war is good for business and peace is good for business. They're back-to-back -back rules. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true, I guess. I love it. And then Ferenginar is just such a rainy dump. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a mess. Also, the worst episode of like, I actually genuinely love you come to love the Ferengi, I think, in DS9. And I love the Ferengi episodes. They're always goofy and zany and, like, fun. And and I just really want to give Ram a hug um, a lot. And I know. Sweet Ram. Quark's <laughs> brother. Engineering genius, but treated like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of is an idiot in every other aspect. But he gets the girl. Yeah. So uh, I had a point with this. I think I just got excited talking about the you Ferengi. You said worst episode oh yeah it's the one where the one where where quark cross dresses um as like a representative of ferengi women prophet and lakes it's a terrible episode gosh i've forgotten about that one i thought you were talking about um like house of quark or something that's a fantastic one where he takes over a klingon house because he accidentally kills one no every other Klingon episode rocks. That one's just like, look at a man in a dress and we're going to make some <laughs> uncomfortable jokes about sexual harassment. And like, that's the, and that's the episode. <laughs> Do you have a favorite all-time Trek episode now that they're fresh in your mind? Well, I, I still haven't finished DS9, so I am five episodes away, but so my two, my, my I, I have one from TNG and one from uh, from DS9. So my favorite from from TNG is it's it's kind of a weird choice, but it's called "Remember Me" and it's Beverly Crusher on the Enterprise, and everyone keeps disappearing. Yes, and the ship keeps mm -hmm. shrinking, and it turns out like it's a wormhole or something, and she winds up realizing that she has to throw herself into what seems to be mortal danger in order to survive. And she like winds up back on the normal ship again, but reality is slowly shrinking. It's like, it's this sort of specific subset of TNG episodes that I call like a tightly constructed space horror story solved with ingenuity and mm -hmm. pluck. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's like the premier example of that. And I love Crusher and like wanted more of her. So it was my, that was my favorite episode. Honorable mention by Darmok, just because it's everyone. Like, I was like, when Classic. I started Trek, everyone was like, Darmok and Jalada Tanagra, Shaka <laughs> in the Walls fell. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is this language? Talia opening her Twitter. What is happening? And like, and then I watched it and I was like, oh, it's awesome. It's also, it's everyone's favorite to quote because it's yeah. like you instantly have this inside language, you know? 
It shook out when the walls fell. And but my favorite DS9 episode remains far beyond the stars, just because I think it's bizarre, it's uh beautiful, it's poignant. Judzia Dax as like a 50s secretary is amazing. And it grapples with racism in a way that doesn't feel like an after-school special about racism, just because Avery Brooks puts like every ounce of his magisterial acting ability into it and like and directing yeah and he directed it and like yeah it's just a beautiful beautiful piece of art that that ds9 just like threw in which is so trek to me like you're like watching it and it's like it's a ferengi in a dress oh it's a it's a poignant exploration of racial dynamics in the (laughs) 1940s and like so that's my favorite trek episodes do you think you'll continue to watch after you're done with TS9? So I think I'm going to try Voyager. I want to mm. like finish the 90s cool. trio, then maybe go back and watch the movies, and then maybe tackle... I've, I've watched a little bit of Lower Decks, and it's very cute also. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I am going to have a hard time letting go of DS9, and I've heard <laughs> mixed opinions on Voyager. I think like some people take a while to settle into it but i'm gonna give it a shot because like so far trek hasn't let me down so we'll see that's nice to hear i think you're in for a lot of good stuff um yeah i think yeah i'll be curious excited for a lady captain i know right you'll have to come on this show next season tell us give us the update (laughs) on what you've seen you know voyage you'll be like our fresh eyes (laughs) (laughs) i think i'm gonna try to write a a ds9 retrospective for star trek.com once i finally get my grieving self to finish like like instead <laughs> oh. of you know that thing Take where the you're time like, you need oh, i don't want to finish I don't, yeah like yeah. it's a book you you're really enjoying it. and you just like leave mm-hmm. the last chapter for like a month because you're like i don't want to be done mm-hmm. with this world <laughs> i don't want to leave like deep the station a tarak nor i don't want to leave it <laughs> gold ducats hooking up with kai win now anything could happen <laughs> You might have a new decorating project on your hands if you want to convert your apartment into into that set. Oh my god! Mm. Yeah, but I need Cole Meany to show up and be like, "Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> this shitty little apartment into a giant space station." <laughs> we'll see if we can get him on the horn to help you out. But um, thank you so much, Talia, for talking to us about. Ugh, all your love of Trek. It really is cool to talk to someone um, so recently knowledgeable about these series that I love so much because it's so like fresh in your mind and it's I can see how much you enjoyed watching it. And yeah, just thank you so much for uh, bringing us your voice and your and your thoughts today. Absolutely. My pleasure. It was um, it was great fun to geek out. And um, thank you for not making me feel like an imposter. Uh, never. Of course not. No one's an imposter. (laughs) No one's an imposter. Look, I had to talk to Ben Stiller last season about his love of the original series, despite at the time, maybe only having ever seen six episodes of the original series in my life. I felt like an imposter then because I was like, haha, yeah, guys, I've seen this. So no, there's no, (laughs) there's no gatekeeping here. (laughs) Yeah. And I, so I, and I appreciate, and that's, been so my experience of Trek fandom. They're just like, yes, you're on the ship. Yes, you get it. Like, <laughs> engage. And I'm like, make it so. And then, like, 
Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <that's> right. <laughs> well, Talia, thank you so much. Take care, you guys. All right. That was our interview with Talia. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff. We got, we're, sh- we're shooting for the stars, everybody. We're shooting for the stars. We um, really are. And I wonder where she is now on her watch. I wonder what series is she on? I is she know. through with Voyager? Who knows? Who knows? It depends on how much time she's had on her hands. I want to know it's if she true. started with the with the new, more recent series. I want to mm-hmm. know a lot. We'll have to have her back. Yeah. All right. Speaking of having uh, people's backs, Are you gonna reviewers do it? had our backs Hell with yeah. these wonderful reviews. <laughs> There we go. See my friend Paul can also segue from anything to anything. That's right. (laughs) Thank you so much for these reviews. We got one from uh, Julia Mora. Best concept ever. Fave episodes uh, as of March 2021 are Reza Aslan and Stacey Abrams. Yes. Please continue to bring thought leaders and influential people on to talk about the application of Star Trek to our current time and place. Well, we're going to try, Julia. Thank you very much for that review. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, okay, this one is another five stars from someone labeled Ad Astra Per. They say, fantastic. Such an excellent show with great hosts uh, and great premise. If you want one ep to give it a shot, definitely check out oh, the Reza Aslan episode. It's phenomenal. A lot of love for Reza. We got five stars from Matteo Lib. That's like uh, Mad Libs, but you had the radio in there? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing. It touches on so many different topics that need to be discussed, and all episodes really deep dive into everything and anything. The third episode with Tawny, Michelle Hurd, Angelica Jade, Bastien, and Kendra James was so interesting, inspiring, and I learned so much from it. I love this podcast as it dives Aww. into my favorite place to geek out and as it helps me to learn and grow as a person. Wow, we weren't even wow. trying to do that, I, but I'm glad that we can help. Learn from me <laughs> at all. Like, it, if you want to grow into a worse person, you can learn from me. But uh, Tawny, that is not true. Tawny's the I one to know. learn from. Don't learn I don't from know, me. Guys. No, don't learn from me. I'm a bad person and I do bad things. <laughs> okay, this this review really makes me giggle. It says five stars from Univex. Who's responsible for this? <laughs> Seriously, who at the studio decided to put comedian Paul F. Tompkins with lower decks cast member Tawny Newsom on this show? Who programmed the film noir outro music? Who picked the eclectic list of guests? I want to know because I wish to personally thank this person and congratulate them on their excellent taste. Well, Univex, we got to tell you, it's a team effort, all right? It takes a, it takes a little village to make this. Got to give a shout out to our producing team right now. We got to give a shout out to Kevin J. Bartelt. Got to give a shout out to Kendra James, who are with us on every Zoom recording, telling That's us right. what not to say. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes they'll just, you don't get to hear this, but they'll try, they'll, they'll just interrupt the podcast and say, you should not have said that. Now uh-huh. go back and say it right. And sometimes they'll be like, you recorded a thing that we cannot use. Will you please redo it? And they say it kindly and with love. And so we do. And, uh, and there's many other people um, on the back end producing and giving notes and doing all kinds of fun, cool stuff over at Secret yeah. Hideout and at CBS. So it's a lot of cool people. So thank you, Univex, and thank you all for uh, rating and reviewing the show. And if you haven't yet, please, please consider doing it. Just mm-hmm. just consider doing it. Consider because it helps in the algorithm if you rate it and review it. And if you write a fun little review, we'll read it on the air, maybe. Yes, the algorithm is all. Hail the algorithm. Algorithm, all hail the we algorithm. love you. Algorithm, yes. the algorithm. Algorithm, <laughs> the algorithm. We love you, algorithm. <laughs> 
This is getting a little Landrew here. Um, okay, we're gonna go now. Goodbye. Bye.